In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Lord Jesus, we ask you for the grace of insight, for the grace of your truth, so that we can understand your words and understand how they apply to our lives. And today, in our prayer, we can take for our meditation, for our reflection, one of the greatest parables of our Lord, the parable of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. The share of my inheritance, that is. The property that falls to him will be his inheritance lawfully when his father dies. And so this is a particularly egregious offense against his father. Scripture scholars point out that asking for his inheritance now basically means wishing that his father was dead. He's basically telling his father, drop dead. I want my stuff now, and especially want my freedom now. Independence from you. How much that must have hurt in his father's heart to hear this request, and then a few days later to see his son go off after he had acquiesced to his request and given him the share of his inheritance, realizing that his son was cutting him out of his life and literally wishing that he was dead. And we see here the father's great respect for his son's freedom. Not many days later, after he asks his father for this request, he takes all his stuff and he leaves. And he leaves in order to lead this hedonistic and egocentric life. And as we keep reading this story, Jesus, from your lips, recorded by the evangelist, we realize that this doesn't work out very well for the, for the prodigal son. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. For the Jewish people, hearing these words from our Lord, this is an image of extreme destitution, extreme indignity. The swine, the pig, was kind of emblematic of what is ritually impure, what's unclean, what's far from holiness, far from God. To feed swine, to be a servant of swine, is an image of a total drop in dignity, a complete and utter fall from grace. To be envious of what the swine were eating even more so reinforces this point of just how low this man has fallen. 
So needless to say, this misuse of the son's freedom, this desire to leave the confines of his home, the restrictions perhaps of his father's house as he understood them, doesn't work out very well. These days we might say to someone who didn't follow our advice or who took a course that we thought ill-advised and then it doesn't work out, we might sarcastically say, well, how's that working out for you now? How's that working out for you now, that choice, that that plan? And in the case of the prodigal son, well, not good at all. And here we see a beautiful lesson. This is an image of sin. Every time we sin, and we all are sinners, every time we deliberately sin, we reject God. We reject at least some law of God. And in the rejection of the law of God, there's an implicit rejection of the lawgiver. In our own way, like the prodigal son, we're saying, give me my inheritance now, and you drop dead. We want to live without God. We want to live on our own without reference to God. And this is a rejection of our deepest identity as children of God. To reject God is to reject, in a certain sense, ourselves, our own deep identity as sons and daughters of God. And we see this in the prodigal son that he's at a loss and he has to reflect to remember his father. The situation of separation from his father leads to a real existential and emotional crisis, an identity crisis. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So the prodigal son comes to a point where he realizes that he's in big trouble and he has to reflect on his situation. What the heck am I doing here? How did it come to this? Where did I go wrong? His abuse of his freedom has led him to lose the father, lose his sonship. And in the process, he loses himself. And the scripture very suggestively describes him in this way. But when he came to himself... And so in this process of distancing from the Father, in this process of this fall from grace, the sin and then the consequences of sin, this confusion, he was out of his mind. He, he had lost himself. He didn't know who he was anymore. He lost his identity by losing his relationship to the Father. And this, again, is emblematic of our sinfulness to distance ourselves from God from the Creator, from the Father, is to lose our very selves. The Second Vatican Council puts this in in a very clear way. It says, Without the Creator, the creature would disappear. When God is forgotten, the creature itself grows unintelligible. Unintelligible. We don't understand ourselves unless we understand ourselves in a proper relationship with God, unless we are in a proper relationship relationship with God. 
Otherwise, we have those same questions. What the heck am I doing here? How did it come to this? Where did I go wrong? Our freedom, our choices, our power to choose depends on that relationship, depends on that relationship with the truth, which is God. This reminds me of a wonderful line from a Bob Dylan song, one of Bob Dylan's many lyrical masterpieces, and in my opinion, sung very beautifully, although I realize that many people don't appreciate his voice or singing style. Dylan sings in the 1980s, Freedom just around the corner for you. But with truth so far off, what good will it do? It's kind of a summary of what happens to the prodigal son. He has his freedom, he exercises it, he uses it, but in a way that's totally divorced from the truth of who his father is and who he's called to be as a son of his father. And this is helpful for us when we think about the use of our own freedom, which we have to use. We, we have to be responsible and take a certain responsibility for our life. God left man in his own counsel, the Old Testament tells us. We're left in our own counsel to use our freedom to shape our lives with our free choices. And in order to do that, we need truth. Our Lord says it so clearly, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this is what the prodigal son does. He thinks, he thinks, he reflects. What's my situation? What's my past? Right? He uses his memory to remember what it was like before, before he made this mistake and how it was better and what his father is really like, how generous his father was even to the servants. And with that new insight, with those recovered truths, he changes course. He reclaims his freedom to use it now for the good, now to reunite himself with his father. St. Thomas Aquinas helps us so much with this. He defines the will as an intellectual appetite. And that's very interesting, isn't it, that we tend to think of the will as simply a power of choice, a power of self-determination, something that's almost autonomous, that moves itself, and which we use to move ourselves freely without conditions. But for Aquinas, the will is not just a kind of self-mover. It doesn't have a radical, autonomous freedom. It's also a desire. It's not just a power of choice. It's also a desire or an appetite. And it's a spiritual desire, an intellectual desire. And what is it attracted by? Right? Desires have objects of attraction. Our hunger is for food. Our thirst is for drink, etc. What is the object which attracts the desire that is the will? And the object is the truth. It's the good, things that are good, as apprehended by the mind. And things apprehended by the mind are the things that are true. And so our will, our faculty of freedom, is moved by the truth. It's perfected by the truth. It's actualized and fulfilled by the truth. And the truth, of course, is grasped by the mind, by our intellect. And so there's a very important connection between thought, reflection, and freedom. If I feel constrained in my life, if I feel like I have a lack of freedom, if I feel unfree, or on the other hand, if I realize that I've made some big mistake to get where I am, I realize that I've misused my freedom. What's the solution? Well, we have to look for the truth. 
We have to reflect on our situation. Where am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What's my relationship to God? What's my relationship to others? If we have a crisis of truth, we have a crisis of freedom. If we have a crisis of freedom, we have a truth deficit. And we have to ask ourselves sincerely in God's presence, asking for his insight and his grace, we can do it now. Lord, what's the truth of my situation? What have I done? Who am I? What do I want? And if we want more uh, true freedom, we need we need more truth. We need more reflection, more sincerity, more study, more counsel. Right? Those are all ways that we get the truth, being sincere with ourselves before God, studying the faith more, studying Jesus' teachings more. More advice from good people we trust. It's very helpful to be humble, to ask for advice. You will know the truth, our Lord puts it so clearly. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's all too easy, isn't it? We've probably all had this experience in one way or another. To fall into the mindset of the prodigal son. To mistake our freedom for a bad autonomy. To mistake and use our freedom for license. And this can happen because perhaps, like him, we're trying to be good, we're with the Father, before he leaves, of course. And we get rebellious, we get weary, we get tired of fulfilling our duties and responsibilities. They seem boring to us or unfulfilling. And then we're tempted by that terrible temptation of casting off the yoke of responsibility, running away, going to live somewhere and do things that are more pleasant, more pleasing, more exciting. We tire of the endurance, the faithful endurance that God is calling us to. And that can be a real temptation for us to have this escapade or adventure or to throw ourselves away, to lose ourselves in pleasure or in some other form of egoism. This is uh, encapsulated, kind of, <laughs> in the movie Napoleon Dynamite, where the very first scene of the movie, it's a brilliant scene. Napoleon, who's this awkward teenager, gets on the school bus, and the school bus is populated with kids who are much smaller and much younger than him. And he walks to the back of the bus and sits down. And this little kid sitting next to him asks him, what are you going to do today, Napoleon? And Napoleon says, I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. Gosh. And then he proceeds, <laughs> and then he proceeds to uh, take out an action figure tied to a string, throws the action figure out the window, holds onto the string, and watches the, the action figure, I think it's He-Man or something like that, uh, bounce along the road. And so that could be a little bit our mistaken notion of freedom when we're tempted to this rebellion in big ways or in small ways. When we're resentful of our life and its duties, and therefore it's limitations on our freedom, we can want to just cast off that yoke. I'm going to do whatever I feel like. Gosh. So Lord, when we're in this state, when we feel like rebelling, when we feel a little bit coerced and the response is to cast off the yoke of responsibility for others or our state in life, help us to serve you out of love, not to feel coerced, to accept with love and gratitude, the life you've given us with its challenges, right? The challenges we know in the end are good for us. 
if the prodigal son misuses his freedom, the other son we meet in this parable also misuses his, or we might say he underutilizes his freedom. The prodigal son returns, the father gives him back his sandals, his ring, and his cloak, signs of his sonship. And so when he returns to the father, he returns to himself, he returns to who he is, the son of this father. And of course, we know the elder son doesn't like this event. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Lo, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who had devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. What do we see here in the elder son? Well, we see someone who is proud and resentful. He boasts of his fidelity. I never disobeyed one of your commands. That person, I think that's kind of hard to believe, right? And so there's a real self-righteousness here. And perhaps also a scrupulosity, a tendency to perfectionism. He's trying to make himself good by building up himself, holding himself to his own high standards. And there's also a distance from the father, right? The father is inside, joyous, happy, so happy that his son is back. Throws this party for him to celebrate this wonderful event. And the other son refuses to go in, refuses to be close to the father in this moment. And then what he says to him is very powerful and very important. He says, this son of yours, when this son of yours comes back, who spent his money, your money, with harlots, who wasted his life, when this son of yours comes back, he gets the fatted calf, and I never even got a kid, a little goat, to celebrate with my friends. And we see something very important there. He's basically saying, he's not my brother, and therefore, by, by implication, you're not my father. And so just as the, the prodigal son distances himself from the father and therefore loses himself by prodigality or by excess, by casting off all yokes, the elder son, and this can happen to many of us, the elder son is far from God by being good merely out of self-righteousness, by being good simply by following rules, by being good not with a free heart, not with a joyful and free heart. Right? He feels coerced, and we see this because he's jealous of his brother's escapades. Right? He went out and whooped it up and had this big blowout and uh, paid the consequences for it. It was sinful. Um, comes back, gets another party, and here I am, and where's my party? Right? You never gave me a kid to celebrate with my friends. And the father's response is kind of devastating. 
The father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Why are you worried about not having a little party with your friends? And how come he never asked for that party? He's distrustful of his father. Maybe he knew, in a certain sense, it was he was doing it out of selfishness and not out of virtue. And so he feared to sin. He feared to ask his father for that. So the elder son is far from his father's heart. He's mistaken his father. He's misunderstood him. His father is not primarily a judge, a taskmaster, someone in control but a loving provider, a close friend, a just and kind ruler, a merciful and loving father. And so the elder son, although good in certain ways, also lacks a lot. He's good, but he's constrained in his goodness, and he feels coerced. He's acting well out of a fear of failure. He's acting well out of a fear of punishment. He's acting well merely out of a fear of shame. And all of this is something that we have to deal with and overcome in our own lives. The prelate of Opus Dei, Fernando Ocaris, wrote a wonderful letter on freedom. One of the things he writes there is the following. Acting freely without any sort of coercion is proper to human dignity and even more so to the dignity of the daughters and sons of God. At the same time, we need to fortify our love for a freedom that is not merely arbitrary, but is rendered truly human by acknowledgement of the good that underlies it, a freedom that is reconciled with God. Everything we do should be done without coercion. Even our duties, even the things that we don't like to do, even the things we feel like, well, I have to do this, we should at the same time say, yeah, I have to do this because it's a duty, but I'm doing it freely. There's a wonderful example of this in the life of St. John Paul II. John Paul II was asked once by a reporter, Holy Father, what do you do during your free time? And his answer I've always found brilliant, very deep. He said, all my time is free time. What a wonderful answer. So the reporter's probably thinking, well, he's an interesting guy, or he's a poet, he's a philosopher, he skis, he's an international power, right, dealing with Russia and the United States, etc. And so I wonder what he does in his free time, right? Which one of those hobbies or pastimes does he take up? Philosophy, poetry, skiing, talking with friends, whatever. And John Paul II, with that great sense of love, says, all my time is free time. Whatever I'm doing, I'm doing because I want to do it. Because I'm always trying to do God's will. I'm always trying to be who God wants me to be. And so I never do something out of coercion, merely because I have to, or merely out of fear. Even the things I have to do, well, all of those I accept and I freely do, because I want to, because I want to love. St. Josemaria used to quote phrases in Spanish, which are actually a little bit like uh, fresh, if you told them to your to your mother, lo que me da la gana, por que me da la gana. I'm going to do 
what I whatever I want to do, whatever I feel like doing, and I'm going to do it because I feel like doing it. Ago lokeme dalagana. It's very close to Napoleon Dynamite. I'm going to do whatever I feel like I want to do. Gosh, all my time is free time. Lord, help me to look at my life. Do I feel constrained? Do I feel coerced? And the answer to that will be love. To do the things we want to do freely because we love our life. We realize it comes from God. We realize that it's all an opportunity to grow in holiness, love of others. In the end, that will make us happier. We'll avoid the ruin of the prodigal son and we'll avoid the long-term unhappiness and discontent and resentment of his older brother. Lord Jesus, this was your own freedom. You too were always free. You always did what you wanted to do. All of your time was free time. And we see this very clearly in the Gospel of John when our Lord gives us that one line autobiography of himself. The one line description of his own interior freedom, his own of his own life. Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. As he spoke thus, many believed in him. I always do what is pleasing to him. Jesus is always doing one thing, trying to love the Father by doing his will and pleasing him. And we can ask, well, well, then do you have to? Are you forced to? Right? Do you have to go to Mass on Sunday? Well, yeah, but I also want to because I love God and I love his commandments. Are you forced to take care of your wife and kids? Are you forced to love your husband and your your children? Well, yeah, kind of, but it's also because I want to because these are the people God has put in my life to love and take care of and to serve. Do you have to go to work and and, and be a good uh, employee? Well, not really, right? I could lose my job and get fired, but then I'd have to <laughs> I'd have to deal with that. And so, yeah, I have to, but I also want to because this is part of who I want to be. Jesus, are you forced to love the Father? Are you forced to please the Father? Well, no, I'm not because this is what I want. This is who I am. I accept it and I throw myself into it completely. Veritas liberabit vos, the truth will set you free. St. Josemaria comments on this. How great a truth is this, which opens the way to freedom and gives it meaning throughout our lives. I will sum it up for you. It is the knowledge that we have come from the hands of God, that the Blessed Trinity looks upon us with predilection, that we are children of so wonderful a Father. I ask my Lord to help us decide to take this truth to heart, to dwell upon it day by day. Only then will we be acting as free men. Do not forget, anyone who does not realize that he is a child of God is unaware of the deepest truth about himself. When he acts, he lacks the dominion and self-mastery we find in those who love our Lord above all else. We have come from the hands of God. We are children of God. We're heading back to God. That gives us an arena, a kind of direction for our freedom. We have freedom, but truth is not 
so far off. And so we use it well to be who we are, children of God, called to be saints. You know, they say you can't um, judge a book by its cover, and I think that's true. But I also think you can learn a lot just by reading uh, book titles. And so sometimes I read the title of a book, and then I say, ah, that makes sense, I kind of get it, and then I don't read the book. I think I learn everything from the book just from its cover. I guess that's a way of judging it by its cover, but I don't think that's the, the point. In any event, uh, for example, there's this book. It was very popular and influential a number of decades ago called Ideas Have Consequences. And that's a book title that's like too good. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I agree with that. Ideas have consequences. So um, I'm not going to read that book, and I haven't. Another book that another book that I saw in a library was titled Obedience, The Perfection of Freedom. And I thought, well, that's a... It's a good book title. I haven't read the book, but that's kind of to our point, right? That what's freedom for? Well, it's to be good. It's to be a good son, a good daughter, right? It's to submit our life to God, the best use of our freedom. I always do what pleases him. Another book title that uh, is helpful in this context is, uh, it was a text on moral theology. And the subtitle was The Education of Desire. So the book was Moral Theology, or something like that. But the subtitle was The Education of Desire. And I think that's very helpful in this context of freedom and truth, freedom and filiation. Our desires need to be formed, need to be elevated, need to be educated. And so we have to ask ourselves and let Jesus ask us as he does in the gospel, what do you want? What do you seek? And we evaluate, well, what do I want? And is has it been the same since I was 16? And if it was the right one, the right overarching one, then, then fine. But there has to be some sort of purification, some sort of elevation and formation of our desires. What do I want? As Jesus says, I always do what pleases him. Well, what do I always tend to do? And, and what's the motivation for it? How should I use my freedom? And Our Lady teaches us how to use our freedom. Hand it back to God. Do whatever He tells you. Be it done unto me according to your word. The greatest use of our freedom is truly obedience, the obedience of faith and love that we see in our Blessed Mother and that we see in her Son. Jesus, help me to accept my life as it is. It's the life that you've given me. Help me to examine my heart and see how I can regain a true freedom without any coercion by loving your will and doing what pleases the Father. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, Guardian angel, intercede for me.